Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Thank you for being here this morning. And I don't really know the impact of what's prepared today. I just know that God wants to get a hold of our hearts. Um, Before the coronavirus outbreak, we were uh, in this series, The Great Romance, and when everything happened, it seemed like God put a pause on everything. And after we got done with our healing series, our series on healing, I started asking God, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What do you want us to, to look at? And I just feel that he put on my heart to go back into this series, to continue this journey into the scripture, to simply remember our first love. In the book of Revelation, the book that talks about the end, the first church in the seven letters of the church of Revelation, um, Jesus admonishes, encourages them, but then he admonishes them because even though they were doing a lot of things right, the main thing they lacked was their love their love for the Lord and their love for one another. And I think we can see in our world how it's so easy to just fit into that mold, to just become religious, go through all the spiritual stuff, but lose the true authentic love we have for God and one another. And so as I was, as I was just praying, I just felt like he was saying, we need to go back through the scriptures to see how God has revealed himself and his plan to rescue us. That th- these aren't just stories This is a revelation. And God wants to bring revelation so that he can then drown us in his goodness as we respond in love through worship and obedience. You see, God's heart, his desire, God doesn't need anything. He's perfectly content and complete within himself. But God desires something. He wants a people who will love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that people he then wants to love with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He doesn't want a people that just say they love him. He wants a people that actually love him and demonstrate it with their lives. And, I, and as we were looking at this series and going back into it, I was kind of torn about going back into it again. But Wednesday, as I was at the gym uh, working out, I was listening to a podcast by a man named Sean Bowles. He's a leader in uh, prophetic ministry in uh, some YouTube channels and podcasts and a lot of teaching and resources out there. And he was interviewing a guy named Darren Wilson, who is an independent or documentary filmmaker. He's made some films that have radically changed my life. And Darren was just talking about what was the next that he was doing with plans for his ministry and his film career. And uh, then they got into some personal things. And Darren talked to uh, Sean about the fact that his daughter, Darren's daughter, had a boyfriend who was like a marginal Christian. He, he said he was a believer, but they couldn't really tell by his life that he actually had a relationship with God. And so Darren suggested to his daughter that they invite him to church. And, and Darren's daughter said, why? That wouldn't do him any good. And that kind of shocked Darren for a minute. He's like, what do you mean that wouldn't do it any good? And, and she said what the boyfriend needed, he would needed to hear the gospel. He needed to hear about Jesus' death and resurrection, what Jesus has done for his life, the love of the Father. That He needed to hear the gospel. And she said, it's been a long time since we've heard about the gospel in church. 
And Darren talked about how that kind of shocked him a minute. And, and he said, you know, I love talking about the Holy Spirit. I love talking about the gifts of the Spirit and, and what God is saying and what God is doing around the world. But you're right. We've kind of gotten away from the beginning what actually started the whole thing, and that's the element of the gospel, that, that Jesus came to rescue sinners and that we were, at a time, we were a sinner. And, and unless you've achieved perfection, you're still kind of making mistakes along the way, that, that God came to rescue sinners because the only alternative from God coming to rescue us was eternal separation from him for all eternity. That there's a separation that happens because God, who's perfect and righteous and holy, cannot dwell in the presence of sin. And so if we have sinned, we can't spend time with God. We can't dwell in his presence. And so what mankind needs, what people need, is that there is brokenness in your life. Yes, but there's a remedy. That remedy is Jesus and his cross and relationship with him. And that was a confirmation in my heart that what we're doing is a necessary thing in our day. There's so much teaching out there. You can go online to the YouVersion Bible app right now and get a devotional about any subject. You can go onto YouTube and find a teacher that will teach on any subject. But at the end of the day, the most important thing we can discuss is the cross of Christ, who Jesus is, because that makes all the difference. There are many opinions about who Jesus is. There are many thoughts, many feelings, and many churches have changed their opinion on who Jesus is. Many, many Christians who've thought one way have, have kind of, through cultural influence, have kind of adapted a new Jesus along the way to kind of to confirm how they feel about society and things in the world. And that's why it's so important that we go back to the Scripture and, and really my heart, if you hear my heart, my heart is that you fall in love with not just the God of the Bible, but also the Word of God. That you fall in love with the Scripture because that is the primary way God has chosen to reveal Himself to people in our day, to reveal this story that is so life-changing and revolutionary. This story is the great romance because God is pursuing your heart. There are others that are pursuing your heart too. God's not the only one. The world is pursuing your heart. Culture is pursuing your heart. The devil and all of his demonic influences is pursuing your heart. But within all of those voices comes the one voice that can transform your life, and that's Jesus. And he's pursuing your heart. This is the great romance story. And this story is not about someone a long time ago. This story is unfolding in the here and now. We are living in the pages between the book of Acts and the book of Revelation as the church has been unleashed into the world and God is using the church in the world to bring about his redemptive plan for all mankind. And so we're going through the scripture to really rediscover the lover of our souls, who God is. And we need to let it not just touch our thoughts. We have a lot of information today. We need to let it touch our hearts because our heart is what determines the course of our life, not our thoughts. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, this is what Paul tells Timothy about God. He says, For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's top. He's ultimate. He is the Almighty God. 
He alone can never die. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No eye has ever seen him, nor ever will, and all honor and power to him forever and ever. Amen. God the Father exists in unapproachable light. Why has no one seen him? Because if God revealed himself to us in fullness, we would be eradicated in a second. The intensity of the glory and power and presence of God is so powerful. That's why God had to hide Moses in the cleft of the rock and pass by him. Because if he hadn't, Moses would have disintegrated. God is beyond comprehension. He's beyond our understanding. And since his presence is so intense and the sheer glory of God keeps us at a distance from knowing him in fullness because of how mighty, how awesome, how big he is, what he has chosen to do, he has chosen to reveal himself in the lives of the people that we read about in Scripture, especially through Jesus, the Son of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That one verse alone has so much within it. But what I want you to see here is that Jesus, even though God is unknowable, unapproachable, he's beyond anything we could contain within ourselves. He conformed himself into a physical body, into the, the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus now reveals to us what the Father is like. He contained himself into the body of Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead in the man Jesus. He is the exact imprint of his nature. What does that mean for you and me? That means if you want to know what the Father is like, get to know Jesus. And if you want to know what Jesus is like, get to know the Father. Because the Father and Jesus are one. They're one. And Jesus and the Father have been revealed in Scripture. I was just thinking about this this morning, that the people in the Bible, they didn't know that they were going to be in the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? That when we opened the Bible, the people in the Bible didn't know they were going to be in the Bible. The Bible didn't even exist when they were living. It was being written after the fact. So these people were just living their lives, following God, and they were telling the stories of what was happened in their lives to their children and their children's children and what ended up it would be just like today you lived your life and at the end of your life or after you died somebody wrote a biography about your life that's simply what we have in scripture we have biographies of the people that lived back in this day that tell us about what happened they didn't understand that they were going to be in the bible but god used their lives to reveal himself Imagine how God is using your life to reveal him and how much of your life is being used or being allowed by you to be used to reveal the world. It's such a profound and amazing thing that we are not reading about something that is beyond us or outside of us. We are living the pages of Scripture in the history of the world. And so today we're, we're going to dive in and see through the life of another figure, the life of Joseph, how God is revealing himself to the world is the God who reconciles and the God who restores. 
Every week, every story, we see a different aspect, a different nature of God. But today we're seeing this is the God who reconciles and the God who restores. Now, it's important to understand that the Jewish people, though they don't accept Jesus as their Messiah, they actually have a couple of different beliefs about who the Messiah is. There's really two schools of thought in rabbinic teaching. One is about the Messiah. They call it the Messiah ben David. He is the heir of David who will come and reveal God to the world. He'll sit on the throne in Jerusalem, and he'll usher in the Messianic kingdom, the eternal kingdom, where Israel gets to reign over the earth for all time. Uh, During this time, sin is done away with. War is no more. The lion lays with the lamb, and, and so on. So this is the picture of the Messiah that the majority of Jews are looking for, which is why they reject Jesus. Those prophecies have not been fulfilled yet. But there's another Messiah that they're also looking for. There's one scripture in Obadiah that talks about Joseph being a flame that would bring bring a redemption or uh, rescue to Israel. And so Messiah ben Joseph, the suffering servant, is also the other Messiah they're looking for. And this blindness that's upon Israel keeps them from putting, connecting the dots that shows that it's not two different Messiahs, it's one who has come in two different times. The suffering servant and also the conquering king. And so we're going to see this prophetic revelation in the story. And this is what I love about Scripture and hope that I can impart to you is that when you read the Bible, don't just skim the story. Because there's so much of a story underneath the actual story. Yeah, you can read about so-and-so went to the well and and watered their their goats, and then they met so-and-so and and had a conversation. It seems kind of random. But there's a theme that's happening in the story that God is revealing himself to you. And God is revealing himself through the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph, it really begins with kind of an understanding of his family. Now, Jacob was his father. And we talked about Jacob and Esau last week. But Jacob is the father of Joseph. And Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel. And it's an interesting story how he was able to marry both of those women. They were sisters. Their father, Leah and Rachel's father's name was Laban. He was the son of Nahor, Abraham's brother. And again, we talked about last week that names are important in the Bible. It's also important how you name your children. Because in Scripture, they tended to just name them however they whatever they thought when they saw him when they first saw them. So Laban's name means white, and his father's name meant snorting. So here we have Whitey, the son of snorting, right? It's an eternal legacy, so you definitely want to guard how you name your children. But, but you know, that's beside the point. But uh, names are important. Laban, white, the white represents purity, holiness, righteousness. And he has two children, and that's Leah and Rachel. Leah, her name means weary or worried. She was, she was overcome. She was a, an anxious child, and so her name was weary. Rachel's name was you. That's E-W-E. That means female sheep. So she's a female sheep. So I don't really know what, what was going on with that name. But, but the thing about the Bible and these two girls is that the Bible describes them this way. In Genesis 29, 16 and 17, it says, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now think about that for a minute. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was gorgeous. This poor girl, who was named Weary from birth, 
was also got to have been like cross-eyed or something because this is what the Bible is, is describing. So this poor girl is labeled as the ugly sister, not just uh, in her time, but for all time. So anytime we read the Bible, th this is what she's labeled as. And I pray that in heaven, God straightened that out or whatever's going on there, that she doesn't have to deal with that anymore. And she could say, well, God used it for good, you know. But, but um, this is just what I see here. So we have the ugly sister and the beautiful sister, the weak eyes and the beautiful one. And when Jacob, who later is named Israel, the God prevails, he comes into Laban's territory to, to find a wife. The first one he sees is Rachel, and he's smitten with her. He's just head over heels in love with her. He goes to Laban and says, I want Rachel as a wife. And, but he didn't really have anything because he was on the run whenever uh, this was happening. And so he makes a deal with Laban to work for seven years in Laban's household. And at the end of seven years, Rachel would become his wife. So they make an agreement. He works the seven years. And then at the end of the seven years, they have a marriage ceremony. But in the, at the night, as Jacob goes into the tent, uh, it must have been really dark, really, really, really dark, because Laban substitutes Rachel for Leah. So in the morning, when Jacob wakes up, to his surprise, it's cross-eyed that he's staring at, you know, it, you know and uh, not Rachel. And he's furious. He's like, why did you do? You swindled me. You deceived me. I, I, I worked for Rachel and not Leah. And so Laban says, well, you're such a good hand. Why don't you work another seven years, and then I'll give you Rachel. But you won't have to wait until the end of the seven years. I'll give you Rachel now. Just agree to work. And so Jacob was, was desperate enough. He went ahead and did that. And so what it, what's significant, again, this is why I encourage you not to just skim over uh, verses and stories in the Bible because numbers are also significant. Whenever you see a number in Scripture, that's God's invitation to pay attention. There's a mystery happening. And the number seven is the number. It's a mysterious number. It symbolizes um, perfection or order or a divine period of time. And so in order to get his first bride, there's a divine period of time that he works. At the end of that, he enters that covenant and becomes married to Leah. Then he becomes married to Rachel, but yet has to go another period of seven years before he can fully consummate and have complete possession over his wife, before they can go off and live their own life. And so this is symbolic as it pertains to God's redemptive plan in the world in, in in scripture because just as god espoused israel god promised abraham isaac and jacob that he would be their god and they would be their people but that relationship wasn't confirmed until the covenant at mount sinai where god descends they have a ceremony the covenant is exchanged the vows are exchanged and from that point on god dwells with his people in the tabernacle in the temple or in the ark of the covenant everywhere israel went there was god the temple or the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was there, and God dwelled with his people. Just like Jacob became married to Leah, and now they dwelled together, God dwelled with Israel. But then there's another symbolic seven period of uh, years of, of time. As Israel rejected the Lord, God, through Jesus Christ, opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles, all the other nations, through the preaching of the gospel. And yet, even though we're married to Christ now, if you're in Christ, you're a new creature, you're part of the bride of Christ, we will not dwell physically with Jesus until the end of the church age when he returns to set up the kingdom and we live with God in that promised land. 
So just like we're seeing now, we're seeing a picture or a shadow of God's redemptive plan and how both the Old and the New Covenant work together in a symbolic relationship. Rachel, the name meaning sheep, she's the object of Jacob's affection. He is obsessed with her, just like Jesus is obsessed with the church. How he loved his bride and gave himself for her. In John 10, 27 and 28, here's what Jesus said. My what? What's that word? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is holding on to you. You're his sheep. You are his Rachel. And he's clinging tightly to you. And this is his focus. So we have, just in this story, a divine timeline. The first spouse and then the second spouse. The first period of time, the second period. Revealing the revelatory divine timeline of the redemptive plan of God. And I just, I just love how scripture just comes alive when you dig beneath the surface. But in Paul, Paul in Romans chapter 11, he takes us a little deeper for our understanding of what's being displayed here between the rejection of, seeming rejection of Israel and also the, the focus on the church. In Romans 11, Paul reveals that since Israel rejected their inheritance and God opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles, God is now using the Gentiles through jealousy to rouse the nation of Israel to find the door of salvation. So through the church now, in this relationship we have with Jesus, he is provoking Israel to, to pursue him and to pursue. And I love that there's this uh, ministry online. I forget. I think it's called Tree of Life Ministries right now. But it's on YouTube, and it's Jewish believers in Jesus reaching out to actual Jewish people in the land of Israel. And they're making these different videos, and, and uh, there's some testimony videos. And one of the common threads in a lot of these testimony videos that you see these Jewish people, before they were uh, Christians, they would say, you know, I didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but I wanted to know God the way the Christians knew God. Like, I wanted to have, they, they seemed to know the Bible better than me. They, they seemed to have a relationship with God in a way I didn't have. I'd go to church and just feel nothing, and they seemed to be excited, and they're worshiping, they're praising the Lord, and I wanted that. And I see that as a fulfillment of what God is doing, that through the church, God is provoking Israel to find their Messiah, their Savior. And just as jealousy is broken out between Israel, the Jews, and the church, jealousy also broke out in the home of Jacob. Leah felt rejected by Jacob because he preferred Rachel. And so she cried out to the Lord, and God opened her womb, and she started popping out kids. And she felt pretty good about herself. Well, Rachel thought, well, that's not cool. I, I want to have some kids. So she tried the same thing. So there's this battle between who could have the most kids. And finally, Rachel has a son whose name is Joseph. And because Joseph is the son of Jacob's favorite wife, he also becomes the favorite son, even though he's the youngest. And all through Joseph's life, we will see a redemptive story. We don't have a time to go through the whole thing, but I'm just going to summarize it for you. As Joseph grows up, he becomes the favorite. Jacob even makes him a coat of many colors, very expensive coat. So it's not enough for the, the siblings to think that Joseph was the favorite. Joseph clears all doubt and gives him the robe to prove that he's the favorite. 
So automatically, you, you have this rivalry between moms. Now you have this rivalry between the kids. And Jake, or Joseph was hated by his brothers because Jacob would send him out to the pasture where they were tending the flocks, and he would spy on them, and he would come back and report on all the b- bad things they were doing. So they really hated him because even back then, snitches get stitches. That's just, that's just a way of things. You just don't do that. You don't, you don't tell on your family. But, um, but this is what was happening. And then one day, to make matters worse, Joseph has a series of dreams. And in that dream, God reveals to Joseph that he was going to rule and reign over not just his brothers, but even his mother and father, over his family. And as we saw last week, as the older, typically the firstborn son, carries on the lineage, the name, and the authority of the family, when Joseph began to tell his brothers that, hey, God gave me a dream, I'm now a prophet, I'm now a prophet of God, and one day I'm going to rule even over you, you can understand how they didn't take that so well. It was not just disrespectful, it was insulting. So these brothers took it upon themselves to conspire to kill their brother. So one day as he's walking out to do his normal routine of reporting, they say, hey, I have an idea. Let's kill him, and we'll just tell Dad that some wild animal killed him. And they're discussing this, and one brother finally has compassion on him. They're like, no, we can't do that. That would be wrong. So let's throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery, because I guess that was a better idea. So that's what they decide to do. They still tell dad that Joseph was killed, and it devastates Jacob. He is absolutely devastated. And time goes on, and they believe Joseph is dead. Well, Joseph wasn't dead. He was thrown into the pit. Then he was thrown into, sold into slavery. He becomes uh, a very well-respected slave in the house of the captain of the Egyptian guard. But the Egyptian um, captain's wife accuses him of misconduct, and he is thrown into prison where he's there for many years. While Joseph is in prison, there are two servants of the Pharaoh that are sent into prison also. We don't really know why, but they're thrown there, uh, the cupbearer and the baker. They both have dreams, and God gives Joseph the wisdom in order to interpret those dreams. The cupbearer is restored to his job. He gets his job back and gets out of jail, but the baker is beheaded. His, the dreams are for, or the interpretation, as Joseph prophesied, was fulfilled. And they go on about their lives, leaving Joseph there in the prison. A few years later, the Pharaoh has some very scary dreams, and he couldn't in, interpret them. He sought all the wise people of the land, and none of them could interpret his dreams. And then the cupbearer remembered Joseph, who was in prison. He said, oh, this guy, this Hebrew who's in your jail, he interpreted our dreams, and they were accurate. Maybe he could interpret yours. So the Pharaoh brought him up, gave him the dream. Joseph interpreted the dreams. Pharaoh was so impressed with them, he not only freed him, but he made him second in command of all of Egypt. So now this slave is a prince of Egypt, ruling second to only Pharaoh. According to Pharaoh's dream, a famine was about to hit the land. So for seven years, they had prosperous and plenty in their crops, Joseph stored the crops so that they would have enough to last through the famine. And then finally, the famine years hit, and it devastated not just Egypt, but the whole world. Even where Joseph's brothers and his family were living, it devastated them. And so Jacob sent Joseph's brothers into Egypt to buy some grain so that they could survive. When Joseph's brothers came into Egypt, Joseph instantly recognized that his brothers were here, and now he had his chance to exact his revenge. Now he could, he could take it out on him, but what does he do? Does he do that? No. He shows mercy. 
He actually blesses his brothers. He kind of tests them a little. He messes with them a little bit, forces them to bring back his younger brother that he hadn't seen in years, Benjamin. So they come back and bring Benjamin with them, and he messes with them again, and they start freaking out, thinking that they're going to lose Benjamin, and now they have to go back and tell their father that, that his other favorite son, Rachel's only other kid, was, was going to be lost. They, they were devastated, and they were pleading and pleading for, for mercy. And in Genesis chapter 45, beginning at verse 1, this is where we're going to pick up our reading for Joseph. We're going to see what happens, what God reveals in this story says, Joseph could stand it no longer. He couldn't stand the, the charade any longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers. And when he told them who he was, then he broke down and wept. He reveals himself, and he starts weeping. He wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him, and the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that had ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. But God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not to you, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. So here, the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams come true, and his brothers are faced with this reality that, oh my goodness, he was right all along. So not only were they grieved in their heart because of decisions they had made before in the thought of losing their brother Benjamin, but now they, they see the fullness of revelation of what God was doing. And later in the story, Jacob and Joseph are reunited, but finally Jacob passes away, and his brothers begin to be afraid that maybe now, because the father's gone, that Joseph will finally exact his revenge. And so they go to Joseph pleading for mercy. Genesis fifty eighteen through 21 it says, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We can see through the life of Joseph the similarities between what he went through and what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through. And this is what gets me excited. This is what, what like draws me in to really see how God is revealing through different lives kind of what he has been doing all along. And this is what I hope kind of sparks excitement into you. You know, when, you, when you're excited about someone, you're vocal about them. Amen? Right? If you don't care about somebody, you're not going to talk about them. It's not, they're not going to be on your thoughts. But if you're excited, if you love somebody, you're going to be excited about who they are, what they're doing, what's going on. I think back into the back in the day whenever, uh, you know, some of you might be too young to remember this, but before smartphones held a million and one pictures on your phone, 
we used to have these wallets that had these like inserts that you had to store all your pictures and when you opened your wallet it would go you know flip out and you'd have to go through you know your wallet and see all the different pictures and you know grandmas were notorious for that they'd, they'd open their wallet and be like all right i'm gonna be here a while you know and you'd have to go through all the pictures and you couldn't keep all your pictures and there would only be a few that you would need but you would have all these pictures with you i even have a a small one still in an old wallet that i have at home where i have my wedding pictures and a few other pictures in that that are just near and dear to my heart whenever you speak to someone or speak to especially a grandparent you know, they're going to whip out their phone or they would open their picture while they're going to show you. They're going to talk about who they care about. They're going to talk about their kids and their grandkids and they're going to show you all the amazing things going on. And this is what I believe it should be like for the church as we're talking about Jesus. When we open the flip book and say, look, look what God's been doing. Look what he's up to. Look what he's accomplished for us. When we look at Joseph, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Jesus also came into his own, and his own received him not. He was rejected by his brothers. Joseph was thrown into a pit and thought to be dead. Jesus went into the grave, and everyone thought he was dead. Just as Joseph rose out of prison as a prince over the Egyptian empire, which was the strongest empire of all the world, Jesus came forth from the grave as prince of peace and king over all the world. Just as Joseph forgave his brothers for committing great evil against him on the cross, as we are nailing him to the cross, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. Just as Joseph is used to save a great many people from destruction, Jesus, by giving his own life, shedding his own blood, saves a great many people from their sins that lead to destruction. Just as Joseph prepares a place for his family, not just to help them survive, but to thrive, Jesus is preparing a place for you, not just to survive, but to thrive for all eternity in his presence, in his father's house. And as God reconciled Joseph to his family, through Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself, and even now is using the church to reconcile Israel to himself. So though Leah was the first bride, she had weak eyes, she had poor vision, just as Israel first bride and they also have poor vision they had poor sight and because of that poor sight it appears that they've rejected the lord but because of rachel and the coming of messiah ben joseph israel now has a chance to be redeemed and be provoked back into salvation it's through rachel that leah and her children were saved romans chapter 11 25 through 31 paul is just admonishing the church he says, lest you be wise in your own sight and be conceited or arrogant. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. This is a mystery. So we're looking at this passage of Scripture. It says, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. So it's a partial blindness, a hardening of heart, where they're unable to really discern as a, as a people group the truth of who Jesus is. And this partial hardening will come until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, till every christian every follower of jesus is saved until the entire bride of christ in the in the form of his sheep is saved israel's going to have this hardness of heart right he says and in this way israel will be saved as it is written after the fullness of the gentiles are saved he says the deliverer will come from zion and he will banish ungodliness from jacob 
when the last Christian is saved, then Messiah is going to come and he's going to redeem Israel from their sins once and for all. He says, this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies right now for your sake. But in regards to election, my special people, they are the beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So God has not rejected Israel as far as detached from relationship. He's just waiting for the right moment where he can redeem them. Because right now he's focused on his beloved Rachel. But Leah is going to have her day of salvation. Verse 29, it says, The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, meaning Israel, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So the story of redemption, we cannot have the salvation plan without Israel. So thank God for Israel, that through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we have the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, who's opened the door of salvation to us. Amen? Amen, you believe that? I mean, what an incredible thing. But through us and the preaching of the gospel, Israel is going to have her day of salvation. Jesus, or the Lord, did not reject Leah in order to receive Rachel. He merely set Leah aside. But look what happens in Genesis 49 through 8. There's a day coming when Messiah ben David, the conquering king, comes to redeem his people. In Genesis 49, 8 through 10, it says, Judah, this is one of the sons of Leah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that's finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. David, King David, was from the tribe of Judah. The coming Messiah that will sit on David's throne is from the line of Judah. Jesus, when he returns, will come not as uh, Messiah ben Joseph. He'll come as the lion of the tribe of Judah to set up his throne. So though through Christ in the church, redemption is made possible in Rachel, when the coming of the Lord comes, redemption will be established through Leah. So we now have a full circle of redemption where God is working through the whole circle, full circle, to bring both Israelites and those who would call on Jesus to be the full manifest people of God who will dwell with him for all eternity. Wow. Amazing. And guess what? You're in that story. I'm in that story. God wants to use you to bring hope and salvation, not to the world, but also pave the way for the redemption of the people he called out back in Genesis, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why do we pray for Israel? Why as a nation have we historically supported Israel? Because they are the people of God, the chosen of the Lord. And one day God is going to redeem their nation as Jesus comes to set up his throne. He reconciled the Gentiles to God through the Jews. He's reconciling the Jews to God through the Gentiles. And he is reconciling all of mankind to himself through our substitutionary sacrifice, Christ the Lord. See, beloved, God is not in the business of rejection. God is in the business of reconciliation. And he does not like losing 
what has been lost, but discovering and drawing back so it can be found. He reconciles to bring restoration. So God didn't just restore us. See, in the beginning, in the garden, all of mankind fell. But God wasn't content to just have one people group. He wanted people from all. He wants to reconcile us all. And just as Israel fell away, he wasn't content of losing that nation. He's going to reconcile them back. And though we were lost, we are now found and even enjoy greater blessings than we will ever had before. Whenever God restores, he always restores bigger and better. The future temple will overshadow, will outdo the previous temple. Future blessings will also be greater than past experiences when God brings in reconciliation. Just like God restored us and God is restoring Israel, he's also interested in restoring and reconciling other relationships. He restored Jacob and Esau's relationship. He restored Joseph to his family. Again, he's restoring the Jews and the Gentiles. He's also interested in reconciling spouses to one another in broken marriages. He's interested in reconciling and restoring children to parents and broken families. He's also interested in restoring cities, states, nations, races, every culture and every situation. God has a heart for reconciliation. And when he restores, he wants to restore it bigger and better. And lastly, God also is interested in restoring and reconciling you to your calling and your purpose. So I believe some of you, when you were young, you had a dream. You knew God was calling you to do something. You know, you, had a, you felt it, that God was leading me a certain way. And for, what, for whatever happened, circumstances happened in your life that took you off course. And maybe you thought you messed it up and now you don't have a shot. Or there's just been too many years. How, how could God lead me to do that now? Some of you had this dream that God put in you. But like Joseph, something derailed you to take you off course. Rather holding on to that dream and trusting God to bring it, up, bring it into fruition, like what happened in Joseph's life, you simply just let it go. But what we see in Scripture is that the giftings and callings of God are without repentance. What God has called you into, that is what he's fighting for. God is fighting for you, just like he was fighting for Joseph in every situation to get him to that place of honor in Egypt. God is fighting for you to be restored to the purpose for which he created you before the foundation of the world. God had a purpose and plan for your life, and, and, and he's waiting for us to wake up to that purpose. And it could be something as simple as rather than waking up to go to work, you're waking up to go to your mission field that is at your place of work. That whatever lane that, that you're in, that your mind shifts from being worldly-minded to being heavenly-minded. That there's a something, there's a task that God's called you to do. There's a people God's called you to reach. There, there are uh, things that God wants you to accomplish in the world. And it's not that you've been derailed, you've lost your opportunity. It's simply like Joseph, you've been in preparation mode, getting you re- to that place where you can step up into that calling and finally complete the purpose God has for you. See, every setback in our lives is not a setback. It's a setup for what God is leading us to. It's to redirect us. Failure is not failure for a believer. It's simply a closed door that God uses to redirect you on the path to your greatest potential. 
God has a plan for your life. There is something God wants to accomplish in you. And he uses the circumstances in our life, what the world and what the enemy means for evil, God means it for good. And he does it to reconcile you to your purpose. The giftings and callings of God are without repentance. Our God is a never giving up kind of God. And it's in and through the love of Jesus Christ, we can go boldly before the throne of grace and find mercy and find help. You know, every Sunday we open for a time of prayer. And whenever we do that, we, we do so so you can come and respond to what God is doing in your heart. When you come down and you kneel down at these chairs and you come forward for prayer, you don't come to experience rejection. You come to experience acceptance. You don't come to experience shame and condemnation. You come and experience the, the reconciliation power of God to begin working in your life. God is the never giving up kind of God and he's fighting for you every second of the way. So why did Joseph forgive his brothers? Why did Jesus cry out for forgiveness on the cross? It's because God knows that it's through grace and mercy people are enabled to rise up out of the ashes and discover their divine destiny. And God sent Jesus to offer us grace and mercy. Not just so that we can be reconciled to relationships, but we could be restored to first purpose and rise up out of the ashes and find our divine destiny. God wants to do that in every area of your life. Why? Because he's the God who reconciles and he's the God that restores. And I believe that there's some reconciliation and restoration God wants to bring in our church and in the lives of our people. Let's have our head bowed and our eyes closed as no one looking around. And we're going to go into a time of prayer and response. And I'm going to ask my wife to come up and just begin playing that last song that we were singing as we go into a time of prayer. And I just want to pray a blessing over you as we sing the blessing. Lord God, I just thank you that you're the God of reconciliation. And God, if the life of Leah and Rachel and the story of Joseph shows us anything, it shows us how intense you fight for our hearts. How intensely you are fighting for your purposes to be done in our lives, purposes for good and not disaster, to give us a future and a hope. God, the enemy has done a great job in derailing that purpose. He started first with sin, next with dysfunction, with mistakes and failures and broken relationships, discouragement, depression, anxiety, fear, shame, condemnation. All these things he sows into our lives to keep us in that place where we think that, you, God, you couldn't do anything with us. My marriage is too messed up. It can never be healed. My my kids are too far gone. They'll never return to the Lord. My 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 dreams of being, you know, an athlete or my dreams of being a a writer or or you know, whatever I had in my life when I was younger, I felt like you were calling me into. Those dreams are over because I've just let too much time go by. My dream for being a minister of the gospel, my dream for being an evangelist. Well, God, you just I never had the confidence to tell anyone about Jesus. So that though I wanted to do that, I just don't feel like I'm able because I've let you down so many times. And all this stuff the enemy brings into our lives. 
But God, you've allowed us to endure. You've allowed us to go through circumstances, not for our harm, but to reveal your hand and how you've been fighting for us and that you're not going to quit until we rise up into that place. We rise up into the calling that you've called us into. God, I pray for the one here that doesn't have a relationship with you, the person that's never gotten to that place of decision where they said, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to, to be Lord of my life, to come live in my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. God, I pray that that person, in just a moment, when we begin to stand and sing, that they would come forward. They would come forward and we could pray together that they could receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray for those that are struggling in any area of their life, that there's areas that need to be reconciled, whether it's in their marriage, with their kids, with their job, in their finances. God, that they would come and they would find that mercy. God, I pray for those that are, that are hurting, that are, need healing. God, you are the God who restores. I believe, God, you're going to heal today. And so, Lord, we just pray your healing hand would be stretched out in Jesus' name and that you would heal. And I just thank you, God, for how you're going to work in the lives of our church today. And for those that are online, how, God, that you're going to reach through the screens, the phones, the televisions, and enter that space, God, and radically touch and transform somebody. God, I just thank you and praise you for that. Just be with us now as we respond. In Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.